Today's scripture will be read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those things who are evil. <clears throat> and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate the opportunity to be together, to sing songs of praise, to pray together, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and also to study from God's Word. We're going to be looking today at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be talking specifically about the church at Ephesus, and we will be doing that in just a moment. Before we begin, we want to express appreciation to all who are visiting. If you're here today and looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. I know that the elders would be more than happy to sit down and talk to you and answer any questions you may have and maybe give you a more detailed account of what's going on here and opportunities for service in this congregation. So we would love to have you consider the work here. I said just a minute ago, we're going to be looking today at the church at Ephesus. When you look at the church at Ephesus, you find that, in short, they had become somewhat of a calloused group of people. And so we're going to think for a moment or two about what the Lord said concerning this congregation of His people. The city of Ephesus was located on the western coast of Asia Minor. It boasted a population of about 300,000 people during the days of Paul. Paul, as you well know, spent some two to three years there teaching and preaching the Word of God among these people. The city of Ephesus was well known. As a matter of fact, the Temple of Diana was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They had a large amphitheater that would seat or accommodate some 25,000 people. And so this was a large city, an industrious city. And yet, in Revelation chapter 2, we find some two to three generations of people have now come and gone, and the Lord provides insight into the spiritual status of this congregation. The first thing I want you to note with me is the praise that he renders this congregation. Note, if you would, what is said in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When we talk about their praise, I guess one of the things we want to stress is their reputation. And so the Lord said to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Before going any farther, we need to understand that whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we are about as a congregation of God's people, the Lord 
knows it. As a matter of fact, the Lord knows all, He sees all. In Revelation 2, verse 23, the Lord would say that He is the one who searches the mind and the heart. And also in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 13 that the Lord sees everything, that nothing is hidden from the all-seeing eyes of Jehovah God. And so with that in mind, we look now at verse 2. The first thing I would call your attention to is this fact. Here was a congregation of God's people that were faithful in work. This was a hard-working industrious, toilsome congregation. So with that in mind, look again at verse 2. The Lord said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And then drop down if you would and look at verse 3. He said, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Here were people that through patience and perseverance, had borne up under the trials, the adversities, and the toils before them. The Lord, I think, pays them a tremendous compliment. He said, you have not become weary. This was a hard-working group of people. They would, no doubt, have reflected the words of Paul when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. These people were patiently persevering for the cause of Christ. They were doing everything that, that they knew to do to, to expand the borders of the kingdom by way of works. But then also note, if you would, not only were they faithful in the work, but they were faithful in the word. Look again at verse 2. The Lord said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And then he said, and you cannot bear those who are evil. When we talk about a congregation of God's people that are faithful in the word, here were people that I believe adhered to God's holy word. And there are three things I want to share with you along these lines. First of all, they couldn't bear with those who were false practitioners. Now, Jesus said that you cannot bear those who are evil. And the idea here is they could not bear individuals who were immoral and unethical in their conduct. Individuals that were base and ungodly, they had no patience with. And that's a commendable thing. I mean, after all, you and I, we are to be pure in heart and in thought. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew chapter 5 at verse 8. Well, here were people that would not tolerate, under any circumstances, individuals who engaged in evil doing. That is, if they were immoral, if they were ungodly, if they were base in their character, well, they didn't want anything to do with them. But then also note, if you would, the text says that they tried or tested those who claimed to have been apostles. 
And the Lord said, Enter not, and have found them liars. Because of their adherence to the word of God, first of all, they had, they had no tolerance for those who were false practitioners of the word. Secondly, they had no tolerance for those who were false prophets of the word. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says that there were some who were claiming to, to have been apostles. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, that one of the ways that you can authenticate whether or not a man is an apostle of God is this. Can he perform the miraculous? Does he, does he have the ability to work signs and wonders and mighty deeds? Well, these men could not. They couldn't pass the litmus test of divine truth. John would say in 1 John chapter 4, at verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, this isn't unlike our day and time today. As a matter of fact, you can look around in the city of Memphis, and there are those today in our city who claim to be apostles of God. Well, if they're an apostle, then they ought to be able to, to, to work the miraculous, to perform signs, mighty deeds. The fact of the matter is, they cannot do those things. But then there is a third thing that the Lord commends them in regard to when we talk about their faithfulness in the Word. And that is, here were individuals that would not and could not tolerate False philosophies. Drop down and look at verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible says, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nothing is really known about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Some would say that it was some type of Gnostic philosophy. The fact of the matter is, no one really knows. But we do know this in Colossians chapter 2 at verse 8. Paul would say, let no one rob you or cheat you or spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And the idea is, do not allow the philosophies of life, the philosophies of men, to undermine and circumvent your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note if you would, that these people did not hate, they did not hate, those who were adhering to or propagating this doctrine. What they hated was the doctrine itself. There was a distinction there, and there ought to be a distinction today. We do not hate individuals who are caught up in error or who propagate error, but we hate their doctrine. In other words, we, we detest what they teach, what they preach, what they practice. And so... Here were some commendable things that the Lord had to say about this congregation. So their praise. Secondly now, note if you would, their problem. Their problem is well documented by the Lord in verse 4. And really it was a reproach to these people who wore the name of Christ. So what was their problem? Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. There are a lot of people that question what it means to leave 
our first love. Any number of responses have been given. Let me just begin by saying this. When we obeyed the gospel of Christ, a, ch a change was to have taken place. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christianity offers us a clean slate, a new start in life. It gives us the opportunity to begin again, so to speak. There's a sense of joy and happiness that ought to accompany our obedience to the gospel. Do you remember when you obeyed the gospel? You remember how happy you were as a, as a babe in Christ? Do you remember the feeling that the feelings that, that flooded your soul in knowing that you had been forgiven, that every spiritual blessing had been endowed upon you, that you had now been added to the body of Christ, that you had the hope of heaven? that you were so enthused with becoming a child of God, you wanted to share that message with somebody else? Well, why do you think that was the case? I think one reason is because at some point in time, you recognized, as well as all of us, that Christ died for your sins. That it was love that took Christ to the cross. Paul would say, but God commendeth his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is a personal thing when we talk about Christianity and our relationship to the Lord. As Paul would say in Galatians 2 verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. We understand that. We appreciate that. And because of that, we reciprocate that love. John would say, we love him because he first loved us. How much are we to love the Lord? Well, Jesus said, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He would say, this is the first and great commandment. And then a second likened to it is this, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we obeyed the gospel, everything was new. There ought to have been a sense of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. There ought to have been an accompaniment of zeal, a desire on our part to show the world that we belong to the Lord, that we are His people. But what happens sometimes is that our love begins to wane. Let me illustrate it like this. You remember when for those of you that are, that are young, you probably can identify with this. And those of us who are older, I hope we can. You remember when, as a young person, you met somebody that you thought might be very special to you? You began to date, and eventually you, you decided that maybe, maybe what you ought to do is get married. And so when you get married, there is what is called that, that honeymoon period. Everything's great. You're on top of the world. Sometimes we, we talk about puppy love. And it's just that, that love and devotion, that desire to, to be with one another, to do things together. And then as time, as time moves along, what happens? 
Well, sometimes reality sets in. And that honeymoon period is now gone. And so, instead of that love being strong and that, that tie being what we would call close-knit, there is what we might call a distancing of ourselves. I think back to when we go through the dating process and we can call somebody that we're dating with and we can talk for an hour. And then when we get married, we can talk for 25 seconds and we're done on the telephone. Things change. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that that's a good thing, but it just happens. Well, what happens is maybe our love is not what it ought to have been or maybe it's not what it ought to be. Maybe the ambers are, are growing cold. Maybe there's not that enthusiasm that we once had within the context of that relationship. Now you translate that to Christianity. Here's somebody that obeys the gospel, they're on fire. They are consumed with being a child of God. And then over time, what happens? It becomes stale. It becomes secondary. It becomes routine. Let me suggest that what happens is formality gives way to fervor. Christianity becomes a burden and not a blessing. We go through the actions, but we lack affection. We're just going through the motions. That's the best I know how to describe it. It's just this ritualistic routine that we go through. There's really no, there's really no love involved. There's, there is a lack of dedication. To be very blunt, our heart is just not in it. And so we come to worship, and it's just ho-hum. Not that big of a deal. We come to Bible study, maybe we, maybe we come, maybe we don't come. Maybe we learn, maybe we don't learn. Maybe we grow as a Christian, maybe we don't grow. What I, what I think we need to do, and what I believe that the church at Ephesus was called upon to do, was to re-examine their spiritual lives in light of what true Christianity really is. Do I really have the zeal, the fervor, that burning desire to do what is right? In Romans chapter 12 at verse 11, Paul would say, not lagging or slothful in diligence, but fervent in spirit. Here's the idea of somebody who is fervent in what they do. In Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 10, Paul talks about God is not righteous to forget our work and labor of love. Everything that we do for the cause of Christ, whether it be under the category of work or worship, whatever, it ought to be done because we love the Lord supremely, because it is a desire on our part to become more like Christ. Do we really love the Lord? 
Do we really want to be with his people? Do we really love his people? In Titus chapter 2, at verse 14, Paul talks about being zealous of good works. I mean, go back and look at the church at Ephesus. They were a hardworking group of people. But the bottom line is, if our heart is not in it, if there's no love behind it, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, if we're not in it for the right reasons, listen, as Paul would say, it profits me nothing. This was a congregation that doctrinally, theologically, they were sound as they could be. But let me tell you what, spiritually speaking, they were dead as a hammer. You and I, we can know everything we need to know in terms of first principles. We can understand what the Bible teaches and we can hold the line on New Testament Christianity and we ought to do that. But if there is no love in our heart, if we, like the church at Ephesus, have left our first love, let me tell you what, we've got some serious problems. And there are people in the church that are just going through the motions. It's just this rote routine. We're doing it because this is what we've always done, and we're just going through the motions. Let me tell you what. In the eyes of God, that doesn't cut it. So note now, if you would, the prescription. Look at the remedy before these people. Verse 5. First of all, they are called, they are called upon to remember. Remember, therefore, from, when, from where you have fallen or from whence you have fallen. They needed to, to reflect back on earlier days as New Testament Christians. You and I, sometimes we need to just take a step back from life. Think back to when we became a, a child of God. Think about the joy, the excitement, the enthusiasm that we had as New Testament Christians and ask ourselves, are we still as enthusiastic? Do we still maintain the same level of zeal and fervor that we once had? Maybe it's a case you never had any zeal. You never had any kind of enthusiasm. You were never really caught up in Christianity. If that's the case, that's a whole other problem. But if you think back, to your days as a babe in Christ. And you lack a sense of zeal and enthusiasm, a genuine love for the Lord and a love for His people. Well, here's what the Lord said. Repent. Do we understand that? I don't think we can misunderstand that. The Lord is saying to this congregation of God's people, number one, you need to remember. Number two, you need to repent. That's the hard part. Repentance involves a change of heart, a change of mind. You remember in Romans chapter 10 where, where the Apostle Paul talks about those who had zeal but they lacked knowledge? Here were people that had knowledge, but they lacked zeal. What did they need to do? Well, the Lord said you need to repent. You need to change your way of thinking. You need to change your attitude. 
And then thirdly, they needed to be receptive to what the Lord was saying. Listen to verse 7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Are you listening to what God has said in His Word? Sometimes we read, we read the Scriptures. We read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, when we read passages like this, we're thinking about our neighbor. We're thinking about a friend. We're thinking about a family member. It applies to everybody, but it never applies to us. The Lord is saying, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The Lord is saying, if you know what's good for you, you'll listen to what I have to say. Does the Lord know what He's saying? Absolutely. Does He know what's best for us? You better believe He does. The question is, are we receptive to the teaching of Almighty God? Are we willing to take His Word and make application to our own lives? And then finally, He speaks of a reward. In verse 7, He said, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat, from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise was lost in the Garden of Eden, but restored through Christ Jesus. Let me just say this. I understand that as God's people, we can become cold and distant. It can become the case that our heart's just not in it. And I really believe that when you begin to look at the saints at Ephesus, the bottom line is this, their heart was not in it. Well, they had the right doctrine, and they were going through the motions, they were working, but their heart wasn't in it. They lacked love as a motivating factor. I used the illustration a moment ago about that dating process where, you know, when you're going through this dating process, everything's pie in the sky, everything's great. You can't get enough of that person that, that you love. And then as time goes on, what happens? Well, those feelings begin to diminish and fade sometimes. And so what you have to do to keep your relationship healthy is to work on things. You've got to work at staying close together at keeping those flames aglow. The same thing's true when it comes to Christianity. If you want to be right with God, you've got to work at the relationship. You've got, you've got to do your part to keep that love afire. So, what about you? Is it possible that these saints had become calloused? One thing we know, if you were to go back to Ephesus, here's what you'll find. You'll not find a New Testament church. You will not find the church at Ephesus. Why? Because God removed their candlestick. And God was telling them in the long ago, unless you repent, unless you get right, I'm going to put you out. I'll set up shop in another place. That's the warning today. If we're not motivated by love to do what we ought to do, God will put our lampstand out. 
He'll put our candlestick out. Maybe you're here today, you've never obeyed the gospel. It's a beautiful story. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is interested in you as a person. He desires your salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4. God wants you to live in such a way so that one day He can reward you with the crown of life. Revelation 2.10. Here's what you need to do. First, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, Except you believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. You need to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And then be baptized into Christ so that every sin might be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. Here's the beauty of all of that. When you comply with heaven's invitation, God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. As long as you live faithfully in His sight, you have the promise of life eternal. If you're here today, maybe your love has waned. Maybe you are not what you ought to be. Well, we have the opportunity to pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon. Come as we stand and sing.